you know, lower, and, and that's really a class issue, and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Happy Sunday, everyone. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Guys, it's been like two weeks since Alyssa and I were here. Well, that's because you were on a quote-unquote vacation. According no, I was, to Stanley, that was heavy emphasis on the working. Uh, I meant the vacation. I was covering crop over in Barbados, working very hard, guys, while I was jumping on the road and playing moss and picking up all this terminology. I had a great time, so much that I actually sprained my ankle. No, mm. I mean, I pulled a muscle in my calf. But, yeah, I had a great time working in Barbados. Alyssa was at Open Bar last week, I heard, at a wedding. Oh, That's what yeah, they kept yeah, yeah. saying. Um, I, I was at an open bar wedding last week. Those are always the best because you just keep drinking. Right. Um, but apparently you could do that here in New York City because I did that yesterday. Um, <laughs> right. The drunk brunch. We did, we did the drunk, drunk brunch that rolled into the bar hopping in the afternoon. Um, but we had a lot of fun. And we went to the Stonewall. Absolutely. Which was a lot of fun, too. No, that's a lot of fun. So Alyssa and I, we're here. Stanley and Jackie aren't here. So we, like, pretty much switched it out. Because if you guys listened to the show last week, you heard Stanley and Jackie. But the show must go on. Of course, I'm your host, Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs. Stanley is apparently at home tweeting because he's so tired that he couldn't make it into the studio. But he's tweeting. Nonetheless, we have Joshua here, our favorite loot. Little Uzi Vert fan and favorite <laughs> advocate of new school hip hop. Yes. So we have him here. You know, got to put on for the younger generation. I, I, gotta I guess. Got to put you old heads in y'all place, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just because, like, I'm not that old. I'm an 80s lady, all right, guys? That's, so, that's old in our books. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. I must be really old for you. I'm 31. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost like I'm a like decade a older citizen over here. Seriously, guys. So, um, yeah, I'm Selena Hill. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. Alyssa? And I am Alyssa Fuchs. And you can follow me on Facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's Alyssa with an I. Or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs. I-L-Y-S-S-A-F-U-C-H-S. <laughs> like the curse, but it's an H, not a K. You can also leave a comment on the fan page, Facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous, or on Twitter, at Poll Preposterous, uh, where we do lots of tweeting. And I especially like to tweet at Donald Trump, but my favorite person to tweet at is Governor Cuomo to tell him to fix the subways. Absolutely, guys. So, Joshua, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. I'm Joshua Clennon, um, the treasurer of the Black Caucus, Young Democrats of America, finance director for New York State, Young Democrats of America. Uh, I'm a real estate professional, uh, Urban Management Development Incorporated. We work with a lot of HDFCs and co-ops, helping them keep affordable in uh, in Harlem. And he is a Bernie delegate. Yes, I was. Absolutely. Team Bernie. Yep. So are you a Bernie bro? I'm not a I wouldn't say I'm a Bernie bro. I don't, I don't like to attach labels to myself, <laughs> but I, okay. was, I was for his... his his policies and his economic plan for the country. Okay, Alyssa? And he would have won. He I, I agree with that. Okay, I, I definitely agree with that. Clear. I tend to agree with that, too. <laughs> um, though, I don't know. It's still speculative, so, honestly. <sighs> pretty much. I mean, we can say it. It's probably true, but we, we have no way to actually prove true, true. the thesis. It's not wallow in the past. I, uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. See, Stanley's watching. He's awake. <laughs> hey, Hi, Stanley. Stanley. Loser. <laughs> we have another loser today, Jackie Cohn. She's a loser, too. Exactly. She's, she's with her like, family. I think she has a legitimate excuse. Train. 
Pretty um, much, guys. Oh, well, you know, I was going to say I don't like labels either. I specifically don't like the male and female ones. I think that they're BS. But that was last week's show. Um, so you should definitely check out last week's show if you Absolutely. haven't already because it was awesome. And we had Aaron Lang on yep. from the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. And it was a really, really good. And it's live on podcast. Um, so I know we want you to listen to this week's show because it's going to be awesome this week. Um, but you should definitely listen to last week's show, too. Absolutely, guys. And again, the show's name is Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is where we talk politics, social issues, and foreign policy, all from a millennial perspective. And Alyssa was right. The show is definitely going to be awesome today. We're going to start the show talking about the NFL boycott in light of Colin Kaepernick. He is still unsigned. He is still a free agent, even though he's a, he's a really good football player. And I think he's been blacklisted from the NFL and a number of celebrities and fans have come out in support of him and say we are not going to support the NFL we're not going to watch the season we are not going to spend our mer- we're not going to spend money on merchandise we're not going to tweet so a lot of people are protesting so we're going to start the show uh, talking about that and we have a very special guest who will be calling in who is helping to organize the boycott so stay tuned for that then we're going to just skate right into the big chaos in Charlesville uh, Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, Charlottesville, Charlottesville, <laughs> there we go, Virginia. Um, yeah, so three people died. I don't know if you guys have been following the chaos there. Um, apparently, a group of white nationalists, Nazis, and uh, white supremacists came together uh, in the last uh, about 48 hours to protest the removal of a Confederate statue. But I think that was just a guise to uh, pretty much come out and push for racism they are bold they feel extremely emboldened especially by donald trump they came out they basically started like this race war and one white supremacist actually killed a counter-protester allegedly he was arrested and has already been charged with murder for killing a counter-protester because he was he uh, jammed his car into the counter protesters and that one person died. So it's definitely been a lot going on in Virginia. So we're going to talk about that as well. And then later on in the show, we are going to continue this theme of just race diversity because apparently a engineer who used to work at Google had a very big problem with diversity. And he released a manifesto talking about how women are biologically inferior to men. And that's why we don't get jobs in tech. So I have a very, very special guest who's going to come on. So special to me. I work with her at Black Enterprise. She's the tech editor. Her name is Samara Lynn. She will be coming on to dispute that that myth, that junk that says that women are inferior in that way. And then last but not least, Alyssa has a quickie on climate change. Alyssa, do you want to brief us? Yeah, I'll give you a little uh, the quickie of the quickie, we call this. Um, So last week there was a memo that was released or a draft copy of a memo regarding climate change. Um, It is the latest study that has been conducted by our government um, about the issue. It is supposed to guide the Trump administration or actually the any presidential administration uh, that is in the White House when it is conducted into uh, what kinds of climate policies that they are supposed to take. Um, But a lot of people are very concerned because the findings of the report are at odds with Trump's and the Trump administration's stated positions on climate change. Um, So people are very concerned that the Trump administration is going to try and bury uh, certain aspects of the report or otherwise not act on it. And I'll be telling you a lot more about that later on today during the quickie. 
Absolutely, guys. So, again, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And if you want to call us up, you can definitely chime into the conversation. The number is 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And Alyssa is currently monitoring our Facebook Live. So leave your comments there, and we will be taking them. Stay tuned, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I ain't sorry. I ain't sorry. No, no. Hell no. We are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Joshua Clennon. Did I get that right? That's right. Oh, good. Yay. And we are ready to have a discussion about Colin Kaepernick. As Alyssa teased earlier in the show, is he not signed because of his elbow? or because of his knee. So I'm pretty sure you guys remember what happened last year when Kaepernick made headlines, when he decided to kneel for the national anthem as a way to protest police brutality and racial injustice. Now, he explained his decision for doing this during a post-game interview when he said, and I quote, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, This is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. That's what he said, end quote. And those people that he's referring to, those are police officers that continue to shoot unarmed black people, sometimes without an indictment, sometimes they get indicted and then they get acquitted. And it's just a continual system of oppression in our country. Now, in addition to speaking out in this peaceful form of protest, Colin Kaepernick donated a lot of money to different organizations, and he recently helped the victims of the famine in Somalia. So how does he get repaid? He doesn't have a job. Apparently, he's too controversial for the NFL. I mean, this is the same NFL that has forgiven uh, players who were seen in domestically abusive situations who have abused animals who have killed people gone to prison gone to prison who use drugs they get employed they get signed season after season but colin kaepernick no not really so he is still a free agent And people are saying he has been blacklisted from the NFL. Now, on the other hand, a number of celebrities and football fans are vowing to boycott the NFL if Kaepernick is not signed. They argue that he's just standing up for principle against racist law enforcement and criminal and our criminal justice system. Now, um, and I think there's like 130,000 signatures of people saying that they will not watch the NFL uh, this upcoming season. So... And then, but on the other hand, people are saying maybe it's just Kaepernick. Like, he, how many games did he help to win last year? Uh, come on now. <laughs> I've heard that argument. I heard people saying like he's just not that it good. Doesn't matter. That they're saying he's just not that good. So we I mean, ha- he's better than half of the quarterbacks starting right now. He's better. You got than guys like Blaine Gabbert that are on a team. Like he's trash. I mean, look at the Jets. All three of their quarterbacks that they have on the roster are garbage compared to Kaepernick. Kaepernick's been to a Super Bowl. He's been farther than half of the quarterbacks in the league. I mean, it's obvious that it's racist. Like, the new NFL owners, they're like modern-day plantation owners. Oh. And they look at the players on their team, you know, like like slaves. Like, And this is just to set a – it's to set, like, a precedent. Like, you know, if you 
if you try to if you try to stand up, if you try to be active, you try to be an activist, like we're gonna blackball you. It's basically they don't want any other players to rise up and try to take a stand. They want to silence all of them, and this is their way of doing it. Like you won't get a job. Alyssa. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, w I would agree with that. In terms of just the statistics, before we get into the, um, you know, the, the deeper issue, uh, the statistic that usually we look at in football um, when we talk about a quarterback is adjusted yards per pass. Um, so Kaepernick originally, when he first uh, took over Alex Smith's job in 2012, he put up an 8.6 number. Um, the year after that, he put up a 7.8. Um, last year, his adjusted yards per pass was 7.2. Uh, currently, you have other quarterbacks that have jobs. Mark Sanchez, who's never exceeded 7.1. Um, most of his career, he's been in the fives. You have Glennon, who was signed by the Bears. He has a lifetime figure of 6.4. McCowan, who was signed by the Jets, uh, the Jets is at 6.0. And Manuel, uh, who's with the Raiders, puts up fives and six. Um, so, you know, when you look at these numbers, you can see without, you know, getting too sports into sports and into these uh, statistical details that the upshot of this is Kaepernick has consistently posted a higher pass number than other quarterbacks that have jobs. And Absolutely. so that leads to the question, is it his elbow or is it his knee? And I'd say it's his knee. It's not his elbow. Absolutely. So we have a very special guest on the line who is going to join this conversation. We have Anthony Davis Jr. He is the National Youth and College Director at the NAACP. Anthony is also helping to organize the NAACP's NFL boycott, and he minored in sports journalism while he was attending the very prestigious Morehouse College. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. So we're very happy to have you here. And... Um, I definitely, definitely want you to um, get you involved into this conversation. Um, we started off by saying that, you know, there are currently 20 starting quarterbacks in the NFL with a lower rating than Kaepernick. Is he being blacklisted? Why or why not? I think Colin uh, Kaepernick has, all, has, has been faded already on the call. He has all of the abilities in terms of skill. Um, in terms of past experience, in terms of being in a Super Bowl and being in playoff games, um, that warrants him at least um, consideration from NFL teams. Not only is he better than some NFL um, starting quarterbacks right now, but he's better than a lot of backup quarterbacks and third-string quarterbacks, and he's not even being given an opportunity to compete for a roster spot. We're not even asking for Collins to be signed. We're not asking for him to be given a contract right away. We're just asking for him to be given an opportunity to compete for a spot. He is not even being given that opportunity. And so that's why I say that it is a black ball. It's not about his elbow. It's not about him being a vegan and him not being in shape. It's not about these fans writing letters. It's about the NFL owners making their, their own decision um, amongst the 32 owners that they want to black ball Colin Kaepernick. But, you know, Anthony, some people are saying that Colin Kaepernick is a distraction right now. Like there were um, actually some owners who were saying that uh, I think it was the, the co-owner of the Giants, John Morrow, who said hundreds of fans threatened to boycott the team if the Giants sound, signed Kaepernick. So is it just a distraction? I mean, well, it may be. While it may be a distraction, I think the bigger issue is that the – the reason why it has become a distraction is because of the reasoning behind the NFL owners 
blackballing Colin. I believe that this issue would not have gotten this big if they did not choose to blackball and choose to not sign him. This issue, I mean, the NFL season ended in in February, in March. So this issue has, I mean, he's been unsigned for five months now at this time. So this issue has been growing. And, it's, and we know now, I mean, after so many teams have considered him, his name has come up in consideration and their reasoning for not signing him has been so many, uh, so many different reasons that at this point, at this point, I think the distraction that Colin would cause has been, has been, has grown as a result of these NFL owners not signing him because of his protest. Guys, if you're listening and you want to chime into the conversation, feel free to give us a call at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio about the NFL boycott. Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that bothers me the most about this. is like they're calling him a distraction. No, you know what's a distraction? Racism is a distraction. The police not being held accountable for their actions is a distraction. When somebody stands up to that and says, I'm no longer going to be complicit in that, especially when you're talking about a league where 99.9% of the people that are actually are employed by the league are people of color. That is the distraction to me. And so to me, it's it's more like, would people have called Muhammad Ali a distraction? Actually, some of them did, you know? So to me, the more important issue is like, this is not the distraction. The distraction is racial issues that we don't deal with. And instead, we have a guy that wants to stand up for his beliefs, wants to stand up for what he believes in and say, no, I am not going to respect the flag of a country that doesn't respect people who have the same skin color as me. And people call that the distraction. My point, is the distraction is the racism itself. The distraction is the fact that we don't deal with race relations in this country, so that's why we have events like we saw yesterday in Charlottesville, and the distraction isn't Colin Kaepernick. The distraction is the fact that 99.9% of the employees of the NFL are people of color, 99.9% of the owners of the NFL are white people, and, you know, that to me, Colin Kaepernick is not the distraction. He's doing the right thing. And it's unfortunate that because he does the right thing, he's now out of a job. Joshua, it's, oh, uh, it's, Anthony, do you I'm want to sorry. add on to that? I just think that it's, it's honestly crazy to me that we, that we have to sit here and have this conversation as if Colin is a, is, is a criminal. I mean, the way that he's being, the way he's being uh, marketed, the way he's being treated in the media, by the owners, all of this is as if he did something wrong. He stood up for what is right, and he's being called a distraction because this is this, – we can't get this confused. This is a clarion call to all NFL players right now of color that if you if you do things like this, if you want to take a stand for what you believe in, we are going to make you pay for it. So if you want to keep your job, your job is to, to take these take these hits, get concussions, deal with ish, deal with deal with your body issues, all of these sorts, but stay quiet on issues that matter to you. And NFL owners are wrong for that. They are completely wrong. And the message that they're sending to NFL players now, the message that they are sending to collegiate players, the message that they are sending to high school players right now is that if you care about an issue, it does not matter to us if you want to stay in our league. And that's wrong. Joshua, did you want to chime in? Yeah, I think there's a bigger issue looming over all of this, and that issue is CTE. So, like, there was a study done on um, 111 deceased NFL players. And uh, a neuropathologist studied their brains and found that 110 of those 111 players had CTE, 
which is a degenerative brain disease um, that's linked to, you know, getting repeated concussions. So my whole thing is NFL owners don't want a united NFL labor. They don't want the players to be united because if they're united on this Colin Kaepernick issue, they can be united on other things like CTE. Now, that's important because you see what NBA players are getting nowadays in terms of contract. You see what soccer players are getting in terms of contracts. And NFL player contracts aren't even touching that. Like, it's obvious that NFL players, they're, they're, the way that the, their sport is, they're, they're risking their lives and long-term health more than any other sports league in this country. It's only right that they should be, you know, more heavily compensated and even maybe getting the league should be responsible for providing them care even after they retire. Because we see what happened to different players where they've had CTE and they've ended up committing suicide or, you know, committing violent acts towards, you know, family members and et cetera. And it's obvious that these players aren't getting the care that they need after they leave the league. And I think that's just a bigger issue that, you know, they want to make sure that players aren't united at all because if they're united on Colin Kaepernick, they can be united on other, other things like that. Absolutely. I tend to agree with that. Thank you for that, Joshua. Guys, we're going to go on a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we will continue this discussion about the NFL boycott and how players seem to get penalized when they unite around social justice issues. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Joshua Clennon. We have a very special guest on the line. His name is Anthony Davis Jr. And he works for the NAACP. We are talking about the NFL boycott in light of Kaepernick being blacklisted from the league. So 130,000 people have actually signed on to this petition saying that they will not support the NFL this upcoming season. They're not going to watch the games, buy any merchandise, or tweet or promote the NFL in any way possible. But my question to you, Anthony, is can and will this even be effective? I mean, the NFL rakes in millions and millions of dollars each year. Uh, it seems like 130,000 people saying they're not going to watch it isn't really going to solve anything. Well, our issue is much bigger than the NFL making their dollar or um, us affecting their their income. I think the issue, I think that people are fed up at this point. The NFL has has a track record of doing things such as, um, as my brother brought up earlier, the CTE issue. They've, they've tried to silence the doctor who first presented the evidence of CTE. Now this issue with Colin Kaepernick trying to silence his voice uh, um, when he's trying to speak up for oppression in the country. And I believe now that there are just people who are fed up. And I think that the issue is much bigger than Colin having a job, but their issue now is that they feel as though the NFL doesn't doesn't support the the bodies that make as, as someone as someone said earlier on the line, um, seventy five percent of the NFL is black. So at this point, fans, uh, people around the country, see that the NFL is not in support of these black bodies that make them all of this money that they rake in every year, and so at this point they're fed up. They're not going to watch the sport. They don't want to support it in any way. I don't think that anyone in their mind is thinking that their one individual boycott of the NFL is going to affect their dollar, but I think at this point they're just fed up. And it's a moral, it's a moral issue. It's not necessarily about 
if, if it's going to affect um, the the income of the NFL, but it's more of a moral issue and just saying that I want to do what's right and not support an NFL league that's doing what's wrong right now. What role is uh, the NAACP actually playing in the boycott right now? So the rally that's being planned in, um, at the NFL headquarters on August 23rd, um, the NAACP is one of the organizations that is a part of this coalition that's being formed. And so this coalition is called the United We Stand Coalition. It's made up of about 15 organizations, and we are just um, providing support, um, organizing support, uh, body uh, in terms of inviting people out as well, um, just kind of using our network to bring more attention and light to the issue. So, guys, I mean, other people, another argument that I'm hearing is that, you know, the field is not a place for politics, that Colin Kaepernick nor anyone should be politicizing certain issues on the field when they only get paid to do a job. I disagree for the reasons that I, I laid out earlier. That said, um, I mean, you really don't have a First Amendment right when it comes to your job. I mean, the First Amendment applies when the government tries to suppress your speech. Uh, we're going to talk about this more during the next segment. When you work for a private employer, whether it's the NFL, whether it's Google, whether it's somebody else, um, you can say what you want to a certain extent, but that doesn't mean that you will not suffer the consequences of that speech. Um, on the other hand, I don't think that we should have a blanket rule that sports stars shouldn't be political. I mean, everybody is an American citizen. American citizens have the right to be political. They Just because you have a certain job, um, because you're a professional sports player, uh, doesn't mean that you should check your politics at the door. Um, but it's a balance because on one hand, you have a situation where, you know, I think Colin, Ka Colin Kaepernick should be political. On the other hand, he like is suffering the consequences for that. And because the NFL is not the government, there's no legal recourse in terms of the First Amendment that he has, um, you know, to say that there's like a government suppression of speech. There isn't. Um, that said, I mean, we were talking earlier about the boycott, about how uh, teams were scared to sign Kaepernick because they were afraid that their fans were going to boycott. Well, now you have a whole group of people that are also fans that are saying that they are going to boycott if he is not signed. Um, and, you know, not completely breaks down across racial lines because I know plenty of white people that are going to boycott the NFL. I mean, side note, I've been boycotting the NFL just because the Jets are awful. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, like at the same time that also you have to ask the question, like, who does the NFL value in terms of their fans? Because if the NFL is more concerned about their white fans not watching um, than they are about their fans of color and some white fans that are participating in that boycott not watching, then that speaks to the fact, although it is, it seems that the NFL values the white fans over the fans of color. And as I pointed out earlier, and as our guest pointed out, when 75% or more of the league are people of color, like that's a real problem. That is literally white supremacy in the ownership of the NFL and of these teams being perpetuated from the top all the way down to the field. I don't really think they care who's watching as long as people are watching. I think it's more about, you know, they don't want players to be empowered. They don't want them to be empowered because if they are empowered, they're going to be united and they're going to start demanding what they should get, which is more compensation for, for a sport that's life-threatening, that you may play this sport for 10 years and, you know, you might only live for 10 more years after. Like, you might not see 50 you might not have a future. You might not be able to see your kids grow up. They need more compensation while they're on the field and when they're off the field after they retire. They need long-term medical care 
to address CTE. And NFL owners, they're not trying to pay for that. Let's be honest. Right. So so that's a really interesting point, Joshua, you're saying about it's just about suppressing the people on the field who happen to be majority black. And this is something that has been going on in our nation historically for centuries. And we're just seeing it manifest in this way. However, there's an interesting point that Skip Bayless made. He's the Fox News host of Undisputed. He said, why shouldn't all of the black players in the locker rooms, they should be protesting, they should take a stand, and they should stand with Colin right. Kaepernick. But is that really happening, and should that happen? I want to get Anthony back into the conversation because a lot has been said, and I want to know about how the players can or should be protesting themselves. I think that um, Skip made a very good point when he said that uh, the black players should stand up. I think, I mean, this issue is is about... I mean, if Colin was a, a backup or a bench player, um, there were other players who knelt with Colin. Um, the reason why he is is being used as this, as this kind of example to the rest of the players is because of the platform that he had, the fact that he was once a Super Bowl quarterback. So the thing about it is that these other players who knelt with him, they now need to stand with him and, and sit out games. But I think it's bigger than um, just the black players sitting out, as Chip said. I think that there's some white players that also need to come and join in in the boycott as well and support Colin and sit out games as well. Because I think that that issue, if they were to do that on top of the black players supporting, that would bring that would bring more light to the issue. That would bring more attention to the issue. It needs to be. And this isn't. This issue isn't a black issue. This issue isn't a a white issue. This isn't a race issue. This issue is about suppressing the voice of someone who has a platform speak for other people and all of the NFL players have a platform that they can speak out for other people speak out for people that they represent speak out for injustices in the country so because they have this platform they should all stand together and support this brother who's being blackballed Absolutely, Anthony. I definitely agree with that. And guys, if you agree or disagree, do not be afraid to call us up. The number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And I mean, like, Colin Kaepernick isn't doing anything that's so new. There were a number of all-star athletes who taken a political stance, whether that was Jackie Robinson or Muhammad Ali or Jim Brown. I mean, we've seen this before. And even though in the time they were... Um, um, penalized or persecuted for taking that stance. Now, when we look at their legacy, it was it was groundbreaking. What you know, what Jackie Robinson did and and Muhammad Ali. So I think that like in the long run, this is definitely going to help Colin Kaepernick. But in the short term, do you guys think that he will be signed eventually? I don't think he's going to be signed, honestly. Um, but I, what I want to know is where is the NFL Players Union at on this, like? What are they doing about Because I haven't really heard much on that end. But I know, like, if this was the NBA, this would never happen. There'd be a lockout. Like, <laughs> say, like, they tried to, like, sit out Chris Paul. Like, if Chris Paul got blackballed from the NBA, LeBron wouldn't be playing. D-Wade wouldn't be playing. Like, it'd be like that, you know? Like, but we're not seeing that from the, the NFL or their players' union. That's an interesting point. Anthony, have you heard anything about from the NFL players' union? So we have we have had some brief discussion with them, but it's just been preliminary conversation. But the big issue that we that we keep hearing is that, I mean, unlike the NBA, the NFL contracts are not guaranteed. Um, they they get paid game by game, 
So it's like if they don't, they sit out a game, they're risking their paycheck for the week. And while to some of us, we're like, they're, they're, they're athletes, they're professional athletes, they've been playing for a while, they can risk a paycheck for a week. We, we can't make that decision for anyone in terms of their money. But I think the bigger issue is that they need to see that this is a moral issue and that uh, they they can risk one week of paycheck for a brother who's being blackballed. But I do agree with what, what my brother just said on the line that I think we are a little bit too far into training camp. I mean, preseason has just gone into their second week. So Colin probably will go on time this year. But I think that the Players Association does have, does need to issue some type of statement to the league, to the commissioner or something like that. Um, agreed. So, guys, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But before we do, um, Anthony, I just want to get your final thoughts on what we all can be doing to support not only Cal- Colin Kaepernick, but what he symbolizes. I mean, like you said, he's using his platform and his celebrity to speak out against social injustice. What can we do? I think we as the people that Colin is, is standing up for, we have a right now to just support him however we can, whether that's being bodies in the streets in terms of coming to rallies or calling our local uh, senators and elected officials and, and talking to them about police brutality and how do we, how do we have criminal justice, ref- how, how do we have serious conversations about criminal justice reform in this country? Because this issue that Colin is standing up for is not just a life issue. Like, this is a serious issue. We're talking about police brutality in this country, unarmed black bodies being gunned down by police in this country. And so this is an issue that needs to be dealt with locally. People need to go talk to their elected officials, and we need to understand that while this brother is taking a sacrifice and he may go, he may go this year unsigned and miss out on a paycheck this whole year after putting his whole paycheck into the community last year. So at this point, we now have a, have a duty as a community to fight for what he, what he took his need for. Absolutely. Anthony, how can people support or, and find you online? Oh, well, they can um, follow me at the AJ system, the underscore AJ system. And to support the coalition, you can go to WeVote365.org. Thank you for that, guys. Any final comments on this issue? I mean, listen, my final thought is this. It's, you know, a lot of people don't realize Colin Kaepernick has done more than just taking the knee. I mean, he has been influential in supporting lots of different organizations that help out lower income communities of color. Um, I can't think of any of them off the top of my head, unfortunately, but I know that he has donated a good amount of money, as um, Anthony points out. Um, He has also been integral in pushing for police reform and also in helping out young black people who are coming from poor neighborhoods. He has donated a lot of time and a lot of energy to developing them. So I think the most important thing we can do is to continue to support him is to boycott the NFL as well as keeping pressure on local elected officials to deal with police reform issues, which we've talked about at length on this show, and also supporting the organizations that Colin Kaepernick supports um, in terms of charity if you are in a financial position to be able to donate uh, money to charity. Joshua, what are your final thoughts? Uh, My final thoughts is I think there needs to be an NFL lockout. You know, they can't. The players got to stand up. They have to take united stand and i think you know they might they might lose out on some money but i think in the long run it'll help them like the united nfl players association 
union would like they'd be able to secure guaranteed contracts they'd be able to secure uh compensation for cte after they retire things like that they have to take a stand at some point if they're if they're going to get what they really deserve because they're putting their bodies on the line every time they step onto that field and it's not right Absolutely. And I would just end by saying this. When we look at Jackie Robinson, who I mentioned earlier in this segment, um, he is the quintessential American hero. He's celebrated not only for his athleticism, but for what he did when it came to breaking the color boundaries in our country. Not only that, but he also served in World War II and he was actually court-martialed. 10 years before Rosa Parks were refusing to give up his seat on a segregated segregated military bus. And now we have history books. We have we have museums dedicated to celebrating Jackie Robinson. And, you know, another thing that he said, and I quote, he said, I cannot stand and sing against sing the anthem. I cannot salute the flag. So Jackie Robinson basically did what Colin Kaepernick was doing decades ago. And I think that, as I mentioned, uh, when we come back in the history books, I think that we're going to see who was on the right side and who was on the wrong side. Colin Kaepernick is standing up for people like you and I so that when black and brown people walk down the street and they're gunned down, there is some accountability held to those who continue to kill people who look like you and me and we must do everything in our power to support this it's symbolic to a certain stance but it also represents a lot more and that happens to be life itself so on that note we do have to take a quick break but don't go anywhere when we come back we're talking about the race riots in virginia right here on let your voice be heard we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We just wrapped up a conversation about Colin Kaepernick and the NFL boycott. And basically, guys, the lesson learned there is you need to take a stand. And when somebody else is taking a stand, we need to do anything and everything in our power to support them. Now, moving things right along, this is time for the News Roundup, where we talk about the stories of the week that made us laugh, that made us cry, that made us tweet, that made us borderline suicidal. And I wanted to bring start things off by talking about what's going on right now in Charlottesville, Virginia. So hundreds of neo-Nazis and white supremacists gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, basically saying that they wanted to remove the Confederate statue because... Um, they no, they were protesting the removal of the Confederate statue there. But they decided to use like tiki torches and guns and like dress up in army fatigue and be really, really violent about it. Uh, so much so that one white supremacist actually killed another counter protester in his car by mowing that person down. So then Donald Trump, after hours he didn't even say anything about it, right? He didn't even tweet about it. Melania Trump actually tweeted about it first. Then he tweeted about it, but he didn't even, like, mention Charlottesville, which was weird and ironic. So then he comes on national TV, and he tries to address it in a speech. But instead of singling out white supremacists or Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan, he condemns racism and bigotry on, and I quote, many sides and i'm just like the side that literally just killed somebody is the white supremacist so why would you even uh think uh, there is a need 
to address any other side. I mean, you have the oppressor and you have the oppressed. And if the oppressed are, are, are counter-protesting something or our allies are, then there is no moral equivalent at all. Guys, what did you think about the Charlottesville and then our president's response? I mean, like, listen, this was not like something that was really surprising to me. Um, I mean, at all. Um, but it's also something that, like, you know, we have to deal with. Um, which is if we don't reconcile the past and we don't deal with race relations, then we're going to continue to have issues in this country. Um, and we are never going to be in a situation where we come together. But, like, you know, a lot of people have come out, in, especially even Republicans. A lot of Republicans have come out and said that this is emboldened by the kind of actions and the kinds of speech that we see from elected officials at the top. Um, you know, another thing that I kind of find funny about this whole thing is the removal of the Confederate monuments themselves, um, which is these a lot of these people are the very same people um, that are telling people on the left to get over losing an election. And, you know, like, you know, but at the same time, they are not over losing a war that ended 152 years ago. This, the Civil War ended in 1865. Okay, and, you know, some people have said, well, maybe we shouldn't remove these statutes because we should have to learn from history. And if we remove them, we aren't learning from history. But, you know, then there's a lot of other people will say, well, that statute is very offensive, you know, to me as a citizen. And, and, you know, like the union won and America won. And if you want to be a patriot, you have to support America, um, not support a group of people that wanted to secede from America because those people were not patriots and to begin with, so there's also like among the disappointment and the also not being surprised, but also being disgusted. There's also this issue of hypocrisy, which is like, don't sit around and call people snowflakes and tell them to get over something if you're still not over something that happened over 150 years ago. Um, so we really have to have a reckoning in this country. And like, we really need to talk about these things. And that's what's so great about this show, which is we actually do talk about these things. Um, but, you know, like my... When I saw what was going on, was I surprised? No. Um, was I disgusted? Yes. Do I think that we, you know, I, do I think that we need to continue to stand up to racism, bigotry? Absolutely. Josh, were you surprised? Um, hell no, I wasn't surprised. I'm sorry. But um, no, I wasn't surprising at all. I mean, if you were surprised by this, you were probably asleep. And I'm not surprised by Trump's comments either. I mean, he's he's going to cater to the people who elected him. He's a politician and racist people elected Donald Trump. So his comments, his silence on the issue shouldn't be surprising at all. Um, what I would say is, you know, James Baldwin said in a, in a letter that he wrote to Angela Davis while she was in prison in the 70s, he wrote one part of the letter. He said, you can gauge the health of a nation by looking at the people the nation has elected to represent them. And and he said in this time that it was clear that America was on the brink of absolute chaos. So I wonder what he would say now. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. No, it, it's absolutely insane. And I would say this, like, I understand that the quote-unquote alt-right has been emboldened by Trump, uh, his can particularly his election campaign, uh, would just flame the fan uh, the flames of racist rhetoric, but it was a little so I would say surprising to me in the aspect of 
how bold they were. Like, just last year or, like, a few years ago, racists, like, they stayed online. They talked amongst themselves on Reddit. They had their little groups and meetings. But never before would you see, like, these young white racists, like, marching through the streets and, like, talking about black lives don't matter and white over black. I mean, to, to me, I'm just like, how do they have no shame? I mean, I know how, but that, to me, was a little, that, that, that was, like, a, a breath of fresh air for me. I mean, they have no shame for the reason that Josh pointed out. Like, they have been emboldened by politicians. They no longer feel like they have to stay at home on the couch tweeting about these things and talking them about them in the dark circles of the internet like 4chan. Now they can come out and, 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 and be racist in public. I mean, but this isn't really anything new. If you look back to the 1920s, right, you, you had, like, the biggest KKK rallies. You literally had people that were so emboldened during that time that they would come out to Washington, D.C., millions and millions of KKK supporters and they would take their hoods off because they weren't embarrassed about it and now the hoods are off you know but at the same time the very people who call themselves patriots are holding the flags of Nazis that we fought against Americans fought against fascists they're holding the flags of Confederates those are people that Americans fought against so you are literally having a group of people that is so emboldened by the election of Donald Trump to be outwardly racist that they are coming out and this isn't about economic anxiety Sure, we have talked about that multiple times. There were people, there probably are people that voted for Donald Trump that are not racist. That, you know, a small number of them. But a large number of the people that voted for Donald Trump are racist. And Stanley and I actually had a few debates about this back and forth at the beginning, right after the election. And at that time, there weren't so many statistics out to prove all of this. But now what we know is um, that Stanley and I were both sort of right. You know, Stanley was right in in the fact that there was a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump because of their racism. I was right in the fact that there also was a fair number of people that aren't particularly racist, but were complicit in the racism because they were voting with their economic anxieties. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we've now reached this boiling point. But what we should continue to point out is the overwhelming hypocrisy of the right and their constant need to say that the left is violent, that the left engages in violent protests, that, you know, like when what we saw yesterday was literally ISIS tactics being used by the right. Driving a car into a crowd of people is something that ISIS does. So, you know, like if the alt-right wants to get in the, you know, wants to say that they're nothing like a terrorist group, and they want to sit there and bash Muslims and bash ISIS, and then they want to engage in the same types of tactics, like we have to also be pointing that out um, because we cannot let that hypocrisy to continue to stand. Um, well, I wouldn't get into the right-left. I think there's, there's crazy people on both sides of the spectrum. But what I think is um, clear is that racism, you know, is alive and well in America. I mean, and I think because, you know, we live in New York City, we're a little spoiled. We live in, you know, one of the most diverse cities in the world. But I went to school and I went to college in central Pennsylvania, Penn State University, and I saw racism everywhere. I remember walking out of a, a Sheets gas station and some some guys in a, in a black truck drove by and they stuck their head out. They're like, white power. Wow. And I was like, really, bro? Like, I was like, you know, I felt like. Am I in the 50s? Like, <laughs> but, like, you know, racism is live and well in rural America, you know. So it hasn't really gone anywhere. Now they just have a national mouthpiece, which is Donald Trump and, you know, his whole cabinet of, of racists. And, yeah, so they're feeling themselves right now. But racism is something that I feel like it's either going to destroy America or, you know, either America's going to overcome racism or 
it'll be destroyed by racism because racists are so racist that they would elect a, an entire buffoon to be president of their nation and basically railroad the country into the dirt <laughs> just to be racist, just to pro, just to promote their racist policies, just to make sure that, you know, the country stays majority white. They would risk the destruction of the whole entire economy just to make sure that the country stays white, which is really amazing. No, I, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, it's it's insane almost. And to see the direction of the country, I mean, it was it was really sad to see the division that we had just yesterday. And I think that what happened in um, Charlottesville was just um, exemplary of what's happening across the entire nation. And like Alyssa mentioned, I, I wonder if... It was uh, a Muslim person who rammed a car through some counter protesters. What type of conversation we would be having right now? Like I, I was watching CNN and this white guy on the show was like, well, you don't know. Maybe that person had a heart attack and he lost control of the vehicle. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I couldn't even stomach it because the only Wait. thing that may be worse than racism is the apologies. Like people who apologize and are completely complicit in racism because you're just defending it you know i think what's worse actually than even that is not just the people that are complicit in like making excuses sure could somebody have had a heart attack yes would that have been awful yes but as you point out that was just an excuse like there was no indication that that had actually occurred which also speaks to the fact that sometimes with the media we get ahead of ourselves and we start talking about things before we have all the facts which we shouldn't do either but what i think is worse are actually the people that don't say anything at all that let racism go on and stay silent. You know, I would rather in some way somebody be outwardly complicit and try and make an excuse or somebody be outwardly racist because then we can identify who that person is. To me, the scariest person is the person who sits at home and thinks all this and agrees with all these people and is complicit in all this and says nothing because then you're unable to identify them. Then you go along with your life and you think this person is just, oh, the bee's knees, right? You know, you might even know this person. You might interact with this person every day and not know that they feel that way uh, but if you have a question or a comment about this this is whdr radio you can call us at 212-650-6903 selena yeah i mean it's a sad scary world and speaking of things that are sad and extremely scary uh so north uh, so our president donald trump has escalated his rhetoric against North Korea. Just this past week, he says that if North Korea was to uh, physically or verbally threaten the United States, they will be matched with fire and fury like the world has never seen. And the thing is that that's only... Partic that's only contributing to the madness. And and basically, uh, North Korea, the way that their dictator responded, he was just like, we're going to do it anyway. So, like, I'm not un I'm uncertain on the tactics and the strategy that President Donald Trump is trying to take to try to calm and quell people's fears of an of a nuclear war with North Korea. It seems like he's just escalating it at this point. Guys. Well. North Korea is like a scared little kid, you know. It's like that scared kid who's been bullied his whole life who wants to get a gun to, you know, make sure that the bullies don't mess with them anymore. And, you know, the United States, I mean, we have nothing to gain from going to war with North Korea. It just furthers our tensions with China. And, you know, it's going to make the, the it's going to, you know, we could have some, some serious harm done to our allies. In a war with North Korea, I mean, Japan and South Korea 
are going to get hit before the United States gets hit. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like Donald Trump is just, you know, they had to pick a country to feed to the military industrial complex. And North Korea seems like the easiest pick. I mean, it's, it's much easier pick than than going to war with Russia. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, you're also talking about dealing with two lunatics, right? Um, that are, like, do you think that Hillary would just be like, let's hit the button, you know? <laughs> no, um, no, you know, like, not. that's not to say Hillary didn't have her flaws, and that's not to say Hillary didn't have, like, amazing things about her. There was good and bad, as there's good and bad in every politician. But what usually we have is somebody who's at least somewhat stable. And now we are dealing with two crazy megalomaniacs that are eager to file, fire the button at each other. And that scares me. Um, you know, and I try and like not to fear monger too much because I think some of this is also overblown in that, you know, they want to distract us that from other things that are going on, like the racial issues, like the environmental issues, like the fact that they've been rolling back a ton of regulations um, and under the radar, like the fact that Scott Pruitt's trying to kill the EPA under the radar. Um, so like the fact that they're trying to kill health care under the radar. So there's many things going on. That, and so I I think in some ways this is distraction, but I also think like this is the closest we've ever gotten to potentially getting in a nuclear war since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we literally have somebody unstable in the White House who who's talking about fire and fury and all this crazy rhetoric. Like he sounds like Kim Jong-un. Oh, they're very similar. They no. both inherited a lot of wealth. They're both young. They both have huge egos. They're both Donald Trump's not young. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, not young. But they're both the son of, wel- of wealthy people who were in power. And it feels like they have something to prove. Um, we do have a guest on the line. We have a caller on the line who would like to let his voice be heard. Lou had some comments he wanted to make about racism. Lou, let your voice be heard. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning the Cuban Missile Crisis. Having lived through it, I would like to suggest that we all study how the Cubans have created a society of socialist-style living, because that way we can understand, as you so accurately have pointed out, that capitalism, imperialism, has to use racism, sexism, homophobia, all those things to divide. Thank you so very much for doing that study. Why? Because then we'll be able to start bringing people alternatives. And if you can, go see Cuban hip-hop. Go to Cuba. See that there are people in the world today that have analyzed an economic system that always uses these tentacles to kill. Thank you for environmental consciousness. Environmental racism is all over the world. The islands of people of color are going under. So if we can please mention Yes Magazine, Democracy Now!, other ways that people can keep themselves orientated to a socialist style, I think we will be able to stop feeling so helpless. Having lived 64 years in the planet Earth, it is time for those of us who have not, as you said, been complicit by our silence to challenge our generation, of course, for the generational betrayal of the children. And I would like to suggest one last thing. We're going to have an anti-racist alliance outing today at Pelham Bay Park. And I see some of the people pregnant. And I'm thinking to myself, are you ready to take on environmental racism now? Because if you don't, your child has every right to say, white mother, 
father of color or whoever it is, you are responsible for leaving me in this death. So please, you sound young, and that's great, because you have the energy to be this aware of what an alternative to a killer, criminal, capitalist system has to be in order to make the system work. It's not just the people. These people are corrupt, of course, because the system that we built, this very nation where your wonderful station is, I've been there before, is standing on the Manhattan Stolen Island. Thank you for the chance to speak. Thank you so much, Lou, for listening to our show, calling in and blessing us with such insight and perspective. The fact that you have lived through um, a number of different crises and situations in our, um, our our nation, our world, and you have that perspective to contribute. We definitely appreciate that. And guys, if you have any other comments or questions, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at beheard underscore radio. On that note, we do have to wrap up the news roundup, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we'll be speaking about that anti-diversity memo that went viral. It was written by a Google, a former Google engineer, and he... And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Alyssa Fuchs, and our very special guest commentator, Joshua Clennon. We just wrapped up great conversations about what's going on in Virginia, uh, what's going on with Colin Kaepernick, North Korea, and everything else that's scary and detrimental in the world. Now we are moving things right along to talk about that viral Google memo that suggested that women in tech are biologically inferior to men. So just last weekend, this white male engineer at Google, he wrote this 10-page document arguing why uh, Google's diversity program, which aims to bring more women into the tech industry, um, is, is horrible for that company. And he cited biological differences between men and women. For instance, this is one part of the memo that he wrote. He says, and I quote, I'm simply stating that the distribution of preferences and abilities of men and women differ, differ in part due to biological causes and that these differences may explain why we don't see equal representation of women in tech and leadership. And quote. Sorry, that's <laughs> what I think about that. What, what was that, Alyssa? That was the throwing up noise. Oh, oh you just vomited in your mouth Sorry. so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much, right? Sorry about that. So, okay, so the document, it's like like well-written, and like, you know, he uses a lot of good grammar and stru- structure, and you would think that he sounds smart, but ironically, if you Google certain things uh, that he wrote in the memo, you would see that it's wrong, right? So um, so he, he takes like a very authoritative stance uh, when he makes these arguments in the memo that uh, just women are more uh, they don't have what it takes uh, biologically Uh, he also talks about like the soft skills right and he says that like you know women are empathetic uh, and and that's actually something that is needed when you have these leadership roles and when you're working uh, in technology in general Um, 
he also just goes on to continue to cite different like sexist uh, things and say sexist things that don't foster gender equality uh, when it comes to not only the tech industry, but like all any other industry uh, when it, in our nation here. So um, we all have we have a very special guest on the line who is going to help us just delve right into this memo and everything that is pretty much wrong with it. We have Samara Lynn. She is a technology journalist. She is also the current digital manager at Black Enterprise. That means, yes, I work for her. She is my my um she is my supervisor and my boss. I love her to death. And she um before she worked as a journalist. She actually spent nearly 20 years um, in information technology. She was the IT director at a major New York City healthcare facility. She also has several technology certifications. She holds a BFA. She was also the technology editor for the prestigious CRN Test Center. And she worked as a former lead network analyst. So welcome to the show, Samara. Thank you, Selena, and uh, I love you to death as well. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so, um, you know, we were pretty much talking about uh, the memo, and I wanted to get, like, your initial uh, reaction to the memo because I know that you wrote, wrote a piece in Black Enterprise about this memo, and you said you weren't really that surprised. No, I wasn't. And um, to me, his, his, his uh, pseudo-intellectual babbling was uh, pretty much anything you can read on any right-wing news forum. Uh, You know, a free republic and, you know, the blaze, a couple of these sites come to mind. Uh, It was full of of, of all these false, um, you know, this false intellectual, non-verified, you know, statements like women are too neurotic to work in tech, um, things about IQ and race, which has long been debunked. And it was just absolutely ridiculous. And and I'm really surprised people gave it the attention that it did not deserve. Um, I didn't think it would go as viral as it did. And I really am, what, 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 what worries me is that the conversation that we so need to have about diversity in tech gets off the rails when we pay attention to this kind of nonsense. That's a that's a great point, Samara. And you write a lot about diversity in tech or the lack thereof in Silicon Valley, um, especially for for black enterprise. And it, but one of the things that the memo brought up is sort of like that whole nature versus nurture argument, um, basically saying that like the lack of women in tech is due to some type of like generic uh, issue or is it more due to like a cultural environment? And I wanted to get your take on that. Well, I mean, I think, I think several well-founded studies show that little girls up until the age of about six or seven have the exact same interest in science and math and taking things apart and, I guess, the precursor to engineering, just like little boys do. And culturally, what happens is the women, uh, girls get these subtle cues that, you know, they're not good at math, they're not good at taking things apart, they're not good at computers, and they sort of embrace that. So by the time girls get into junior high school, they've taken into their head that, oh, well, you know, boys are good at math and tech, and I'm not. So I think it's absolute, complete, utter BS. 
Absolutely. And guys, if you want to chime into the conversation, you can call us up. The number is 212-650-6903. I mean, listen, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with the characterization of total and utter BS. Um, I mean, look, you have here we go. We have a white man deciding he's going to mansplain sexism and why women are biologically inferior to women. And then we are all sitting here surprised like, oh, my God, another white man that wants to tell everybody else how the world works. But he wants to tell us incorrectly um so to me like to that was just like laughable um but then there becomes the actual report itself i mean and he says things about the report and about google's biases that just have no basis in reality as our guest points out women are just as good at math and science as men are there is no biological difference between women in terms of math and science he says that the male he says that like women don't have flexible enough gender roles and like you know we there's plenty of studies shown that that's not true um you know he, he talks about, oh, well, um, men have a higher drive for status. What does that even mean, <laughs> that women are not driven to be, uh, to be successful? Um, because I don't think that that's true at all. I mean, like, none of the things that were mentioned were, had any basis in reality. So this is basically just, like, his alternative facts um, in his alternative universe. Um, and so he decides to now write them down. Um, and you know what? Listen, if he has a problem with the diversity of where he works and he thinks that it shouldn't be as diverse, um, then maybe he should quit and maybe he should go work for white supremacist coders, uh, you know, incorporated because, you know, like Google has always been a company that has striven for diversity. Um, you know, and the other thing about political biases, you know, companies do have political biases. Breitbart has a political bias to be on the right. Google has a political bias to want to be a diverse company. Um, you like, you know that when you get involved, when you decide to go work for somebody. Um, and if you have an issue about it, then, you know, go address it with one of your superiors internally. Um, but to, to write this memo and to pass it around is basically, to me, just some white guy who wants attention for being racist and sexist. And, like, we already have enough white men getting attention for being racist and sexist. So as you pointed out, like, the fact that we're even spending so much time talking about this, that's why I haven't mentioned the guy's name. I don't care to. I don't care to give him the time of day. Instead, I give... I care to give the time of day to women and women of color that are coding and that are involved in tech to tell us why he is wrong. Well said. Well so, Mari, you want to get your feedback on that? Well, I, I got three, three, three points to that, that very, very well said um, argument. Um, you know, first of all, you know, it, it might be true that boys and girls may approach, have different approaches to learning. That doesn't mean that they can't learn and master the same subjects. That's one. Um, second, I'm really tired of giving, as was stated, a white guy, letting him hijack the conversation of diversity in tech. And I, I was really appalled that his, his babbling got as much attention as it did. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, I, I just like, third, I just really want to keep the conversation focused on, you know, diversifying tech, make it a very grown-up conversation. And, you know, not, not getting distracted by stupidity, which to me, his, his, his long-winded rant was absolutely asinine. So. Um, I agree. Um, I think it's utter nonsense. I mean, how narcissistic and my, misogynistic do you have to be to even write some, some garbage like that and, and circulate it? Like, I know, I know it's got out and it's been pushed a lot by conservative news sites. And believe it or I think a lot of even liberal-minded peep men would they 
they would never come out and admit it. But a lot of people really agree with that and they really believe it. But they would they will never openly say it. That's why I think it's been pushed as much as it has. But I mean, she's right. We should honestly we shouldn't pay this any mind. We shouldn't give this any attention at all. Like it's there's nothing factual about it. Absolutely. I agree there. But, you know, in the earlier segment, we were talking about free speech in the workplace and how certain people get penalized. And, you know, I, I can admit when Colin Kaepernick ex- uh, exercises his right for free speech and his private employer pushes back and tells, tells him, like, you know, we don't really want to gardener or force that type of thought or rhetoric. Um, and then he gets blacklisted from the NFL. I have a problem with that. But on the other hand, when conservatives, a, a number of conservatives are supporting this ex-Google engineer and saying he was doing the same exact thing. He wrote a memo. He's expressing his thought and his opinion. Opinion, and he gets fired. Is there, is there a double standard here, Samara? I, you, you make a great, great point, Selena. Um, I, I think it's so funny in this whole dialogue with this Google guy that conservatives who are always so pro-business, oh, business is always right, are like, oh, business doesn't have a right to fire him. No, they do. And, I, and as much as I, I so stand with Colin Kaepernick and so am dismayed why he's a pretty good quarterback and he's not getting hired the fact is if you make a statement politically something that's charged and it's not in line with the uh employer who you know who uh, who hires you or who you work for they have every right to fire you and whether it's colin or whether it's this google engineer i mean that's the bottom line you have a right to say whatever you want and not be imprisoned by the government you don't have the right to say whatever you want and still be employed by your employer if it's not in line with their mission statement. And that's just something that that's just how it is. So. Yep. You're right, Samara. Guys, if you want to chime into the conversation, you can call us up now. The number is 212-650-6903. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with that. That's a point I've been making through both segments, which is free speech. Um, the right, Your First Amendment right does not apply in the workplace. Google's a private company. The NFL is a private company. They're not the government. They could do what they want. Um, you know, you, you should be able to express whatever views you want. Too, but that does not mean there's going to be consequences. That said, I want to point out what I see as the difference between these two things, which is Colin Kaepernick is standing up for police accountability and pointing out things that are based in fact. We have statistics to prove that there is systemic racism within policing in America, right? And so he is standing up based on things that we know are that are factual um, and say we need to have better accountability. On the other hand, what's going on at Google is a guy who's uh, perpetrating myths about women and myths about the different sexes and myths about um, race in terms of tech. And he's using the perpetuation of myths to claim that nobody's listening to him and that Google's ignoring him because he has conservative viewpoints. And uh, that's where I see the main difference being is whereas you come at something with a fact um, and and you think that that you know f- coming from that place of fact you would express a difference in opinion whether it's liberal or conservative then that's your opinion but when you come at something and claim certain things are facts when they're based not in reality and they're based in myth that puts you in a different position than when you're talking about something that's based in fact so to me yeah. that is the biggest difference between those two things yeah but and I think that the right would come back and argue and say you, you know regardless of you know. Opinion. Some things are still subjective. Like 
police brutality, the right does not see that as an issue. They count the number of police officers that are shot or killed in the line of duty, and they're all for Blue Lives Matter. What they say is that Colin Kaepernick is politicizing this issue and bringing politics into a sport when he's not paid to speak. So, I mean, and that's the argument that is being made there. I want to get Joshua back into the conversation. Um, well, I'll kind of be... I don't think Google was 100% right for firing him. Really? I don't. I think, like, he should have been reprimanded. He should have been punished. I mean, because, I mean, you know, that's outside of your job. Like, you're not supposed to be circulating any, like, that's not your job. You're an engineer. Like, stay in your lane and do your job. But, I mean, I can understand why they fired him. Like, you know, what, whatever, according to their policies about making your, your fellow coworkers feel, you know, uncomfortable. But with Colin Kaepernick, it's it's completely different to me because, you know, 75% of NFL players are black. So the NFL is literally taking a stance um, in opposition to the interests of the black community when the black community is basically making the NFL rich. They're they're generating that, that $9 billion in revenue that they get each year, and they're in direct opposition to their interests. Point taken about Kaepernick, but that's very interesting for you to say that Google should not have followed that engineer, and you're speaking to, uh, speaking as someone who is very anti-sexist. Uh, Samara, you know, what do you think about that? Did Google strike down on this engineer for expressing his views a little too harshly? Well, guys, I, I totally agree that it's these are apples and oranges issues. One is based in fact, police brutality, as was stated before, um, you know, statistics against the violence against black people, and Colin Kaepernick was standing up for that. Um, and the other guy was just making these wild, crazy theory, conspiracy theories about race and IQ. It was just absolutely crazy. But, you know, at the end of the day, the bottom line, as I said, you know, social media has totally changed the game of being employed. I mean, I remember I was working in, I, in technology way before social media ever was a thing. And you could say your things in private and say things on Internet forums and no one knew. But now anything you say, anybody, you don't have to be a celebrity, anybody, anything you say can be spotlighted. And companies are really on guard about things you say. They're, 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 their bottom line is to make money. And whether it's the NFL thinking that all these white people in middle America are pissed off because Colin, you know, didn't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance or, you know, people are like, you know, oh, they're not going to use Google because this guy's a racist and a sexist. They're going to they're gonna look out for their bottom line. And I, and I understand that. I get that. And no matter who we work for, we all have to be aware of that. We can take a stand. We can stand up for what we believe in. But as was said before, there are consequences. And I think that's absolutely fair. Right. And listen, the last thing I'll say on that note is that, you know, this wasn't a situation where he was being fired because he voted for Donald Trump or because he was a Republican and he went out to the bar with his friends and talked about how he was a conservative. There's a big difference between having a political point of view and maybe even talking to your friends about it or coworkers about it and circulating a memo throughout an entire company. So that's another factual difference that we need to keep in mind in this situation. Absolutely, guys. Um, On that note, we do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Where when we come back, we will continue the conversation about the lack of diversity in tech. And- 
And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We're having a discussion about the lack of diversity in tech in light of the anti-diversity Google memo that went viral internally at Google and then externally to the public after it was leaked. And it ended up in a white male Google engineer getting fired. Joshua says he should not have gotten fired. But I want to expand the conversation to talk about women in tech. We have a very special guest on the line. Her name is Samara Lynn. She's a technology journalist. She works at Black Enterprise. And she also spent almost 20 years as a woman in tech. So Samara... If you can enlighten us with your experience as being not only a woman, but a person of color in tech, did you ever feel as like that token person or, or singled out or very different from your colleagues? You know, Selena, I was thinking about this yesterday, and it's funny. I think there's more focus on that now than there was 20 years ago. I, I you know, I, I, I got my, I'm, I was a system administrator. I was a network, network administrator for many years, about 15 years. And I feel like when I first did it, it was just like, can you set up a network? Can you, can you administer a database? Okay, good, you're hired. Um, now, that said, um, I, 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 didn't, I never found it hard to get a job because I had the skills to do the job. But that said, uh, there was a lot of incidents of, you know, sexism. I, I, I remember um, I worked for a, um, a commercial mortgage broker. It was my first big technology job, and I was tasked with setting up a network and fixing their computers, and I made a mistake. And I remember uh, a, a white colleague, blonde hair, blue-eyed, um, you know, when, he, when they found out I made a mistake, and I, I told my boss, and we were all in the room together, and I said, yeah, I made a mistake. You know, I set this thing up wrong. And it, it resulted in a lot of people's emails getting deleted, unfortunately. And he looked at me, I'll never forget, and he said, your worst mistake was coming into work today. But, you know, and I, you know, I feel like that type of hostility, and, you know, I, I've had remarks like that all along, along my career, but that type of hostility just made me more determined to be better at my job and not mess up. And, you know, I, I, I love the fact that, especially the millennial generation they're very into support systems they're very into you know social media and groups and you know uh being there for each other but i i just think that when it comes to tech google facebook whatever they want the best of the best and if you focus on your job skills and you focus on being the best you can be i think a lot of that can overcome the inherent sexism and racism that does exist in tech so that's a that's a really interesting perspective to say that it's almost, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like the pull yourself up by your bootstraps type uh, of argument. Like if you, you know, try really hard, then you won't uh, counter. Then you uh, can sort of. Uh, get through some of these hurdles and challenges. But, you know, I was reading up and I, I read a couple of studies that was showing that once, you know, after once women actually get these degrees in STEM, there's like almost not a hiring freeze, but it's hot, harder for them to get fired. I yes. mean, excuse me, to get hired. Like the people yes. who dominate Silicon Valley right now happen to be white males. And then after right. that comes Asians. And then on, on a low percentile comes African-Americans. And right. women are also um, disproportionately underrepresented in in tech, in this industry. So is it that 
we aren't trying hard enough or or is it something else? Alyssa, I want to get you. I mean, listen, I happen to think it has to do with a pervasive culture of sexism within tech that leads to this kind of situation. There was actually a debate about this on Politically Preposterous where some guy who was conservative pointed out that women are constantly saying that more women should be involved in tech, um, but then when they go to college, a lot of women decide not to go into tech jobs. And the question, some of that is true and some of of it is false. Um, but the question then becomes why? Um, and, and and so then there was a debate that went on. So I'll give you some of the comments that we got on Politically Preposterous. Jake says um, that fewer women have a STEM degree um, because when they are, the, because they are systematically made unwelcome in the STEM field. They are generally underpaid compared to their male colleagues. Their requests for labs and hardwares to do their job are often refused or they are given the worst equipment, whereas men, specifically white men, are given better equipment. They are paid less. They are not allowed to represent their work as much as those men. Those are the facts. Um, and so that deters a lot of women from going into STEM in the first place. Um, and then she, he said, at least women are getting degrees, though. Men are failing at that. I guess we should just assume that men aren't graduating from college because men are lazy and stupid. He was obviously making a joke at the end. Um, Robert then, sorry, Rob Wilbert then responded and said, having a degree in STEM, most women stick around, have to deal with being hit on, viewed as simply as a pretty face. They have to work twice as hard to get to the same level and respect as their male peers as their male male peers do. And so these reasons may actually answer these, this question. It may not be just like women aren't going into STEM because they aren't going into it. It's like if you know that this field is super sexist and that you're going to have to work three times as hard as a man is, and then you have the opportunity to go into another field, like, for example, being a lawyer, where it's still a man's dominated profession. I can tell you that as a lawyer, but women have made bigger gains in the legal field than they have in the tech field, then you might say, you know what, I'm going to become a lawyer instead because I think I'm going to have it easier as a woman, even if your interest is in STEM. Um, So I think it's important that we convince women to stick with STEM if they're into it and to not be deterred by this kind of sexism. But we have to continue to tackle the sexism because it's deterring women from going into the field to begin with. Absolutely. Um, well, I think it's a cultural issue in which we live in a society which kind of objectifies women and we value women based on, you know, their beauty and, and aspects like that. So I don't think I think women growing up, they just they're more into, you know, a lot of women, they want to be models or they want to be actresses. You know, they want to they want to, you know, follow career paths, you know, that, you know, promote beauty because that's. You know, that's the values that we teach as American society. So I think there's there's just not a lot of women growing up who get interested in tech because they don't see the value in it for them as a woman. So I think that's a societal issue. Secondly, um, as far as like for anyone's personal struggle, I mean, you can't ever look at any, you know, we know there's obstacles in a way, especially if you're a person of color, but you can't ever look at that and think it's insurmountable if you do like you're not going to be successful in anything that you do so i don't even like i don't even like talking about that because i mean we know the obstacles are there but so what like if that's what you want to do just do it anyway um right and you know it almost is comparable to hip-hop for me in a a way because hip-hop is another male-dominated industry and because 
the obstacles are so prevalent, it almost deters women in the same exact way because you will have to uh, undergo a number of different stereotypes, uh, sexism. I mean, Rick Ross, in an interview like a week or two ago, said that the reason why he has not signed on a female rapper to his label is because he would have sex with her. Right. And he was like, I'm not going to invest all of this money and time to perfect her artistry without getting something in return. And I'm going to expect her to have sex with me. And like that comment almost went under the radar. I mean, like there were a number of publications that raised a stink about it, but that just shows where the mindset is when it comes to not respecting female professionals in different industries. And I want to get Samara back into the conversation because Samara, as a woman in tech, uh, you know, we're talking about the deterrence and these deterrent factors. What is it that really sparked your interest and told you that you could do it in spite of being a woman and in spite of being a person of color? Well, I want want to go back to something that was stated. I I don't want to be so glib as to say it's just you got to you know, pull yourself by your bootstraps and you'll be okay. We know there's racism and sexism in technology. Um, I, I, as far as what sparked my interest as a kid, I was always into te- science fiction and technology and robots. And, you know, like my, my, my father can attest to that. I loved all that stuff. And I decided um, when I was in junior high school, I was the only woman, only black person in my computer club. And I loved computers and I knew I wanted to do that. Um, but that said, I think even though we know the racism and sexism is inherent in the tech industry and in Silicon Valley, I think to, to realistically, to be especially a woman of color in tech, you have to assume you're going to have a certain level of uncomfortableness. Uh, you're going to have to assume you're going to, there are people who are going to question your intellect. And if you can kind of dust that off your shoulder and persevere, you can make it. And it's unfortunate that that's how it is, but I think for now, until the landscape changes, you have to go into it with that mindset. Guys, unfortunately, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But before we do, I want to give the panel a chance to answer the question of what can and should we be doing to uh, support women in tech, uh, specifically, you, you know, women of color? Right. I mean, I think the most important thing we have to be doing is telling women, uh, uh, women and in particular women of color, like you can do this if you're interested in that. We see this in politics a lot. A lot of women, when asked why they don't run for office, it's because they say not enough people tell them they can do it. Not enough people give them the support. When a man says he wants to run for office, people believe him. People say you can do it. Um, when a woman says she wants to run for office, people tend to not tell her the same things. And I think that's very similar in tech. Uh, so when we meet young women and young women of color that want to go into tech, we need to give them the education, the resources, and the support to help them be able to do it. The other thing is that we have to continue to tell people that um, diversity isn't pie. Just because somebody gets more diversity um, and we want to have more people of color coming into the tech sector doesn't mean that there's less pie for for the white people. Um, This is not a pie. One slice for you does not mean one slice less for somebody else. When what they say is, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. When we rise the tide of young women of color in tech and of women in color in tech, um, regardless of their race, we rise the tide in tech for everybody, men included. Um, And we also need to make sure that we're dealing with the wage gap in tech and keeping pressure on these companies to pay women the same that they meet, um, amount of money that they pay men. 
Joshua, closing thoughts? Well, I think there are actually a lot of uh, black women out here doing it in tech. And uh, one of the things that starting their own company, starting their own uh, tech startups, but one of the major hurdles that they face is that um, they can't get a lot of, they don't get a lot of in- investors. They don't get a lot of money funneling to their companies because a lot of these uh, venture capitalist companies are owned by white men. So I think what we can do as a uh, you know, community of color is supporting our own you know, crowdfunding and helping uh, support these women of color or black or whoever who are starting these tech industries and, you know, helping them get their companies off the ground so that, you know, they can employ more people of color in tech. Samara, do you have any final thoughts on what can and should be happening to foster more women in tech? Well, first of all, the diversity as pie analogy I thought was absolutely brilliant. And um, second, I think the, 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 the most fundamental thing is supporting these organizations like Black Girls Code, Girls Who Code. Um, I think you really got to start young. Uh, when you get women, young girls of color into coding and technology at a very early age and get them really steeped into those skills, it's very hard for them to be denied employment when they have those stone, you know, stone-cold hard skills. So I think it's very important to support organizations. Absolutely. And Samara, tell us where and how we can follow you on social media as well as your writings. Well, I most hope you follow blackenterprise.com. And uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Samara Lynn. (laughs) Thank you again, Samara. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. So I just want to end off the the topic of uh, talking about, um, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but Google is actually under investigation right now for discriminating against its female employees when it comes to pay. So there is a humongous problem when it comes to not only getting women in tech, but when they're there, they're being underpaid. And it's because we undervalue women. And we talk about this issue time and time again. I mean, it's I'm not sure what it will take. I think the only thing that it will take is if we continue to get more women in power, especially women of color in power, then we can uh, hopefully start to see some changes in these industries that are male-dominated and lacking women uh, in these leadership roles. But I think if we continue to push for that and start our girls off young, as Samara mentioned, there's Black Girls Code, there's Girls That's Code, there are a number of organizations that are specifically training women to uh, be advanced in these technology fields so that they can not only get a job, but then they can advance to leadership roles and they can open up their own companies and then hire other young women and women that look like them and remind themselves of them. Then I think we will definitely start to see more equality in this area. But on that note, we do have to take another quick break. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And Alyssa is coming back with the quickie. And we are back. Uh, My name is Alyssa Fuchs, and now I'm coming at you with a quickie about the most recent climate change memo that was released. Um, So what is going on? Well, last week uh, there was a draft report released. um, This report was completed by the Special Science Section of the National Climate Assessment, uh, which is mandated by law every four years to conduct a study on climate change. Um, This is conducted by scientists from 13 federal agencies, and the president, as I said, is required to conduct this 
study. The assessment details the risks that climate change poses to the United States. uh, So that is to inform federal agencies, local policymakers, Congress and the president um, as to how we can prepare for droughts, rising sea levels and other effects of climate change. Um, The problem is presidents have historically had very wide latitude in how to play these findings and in what to put out. Um, And so there is definitely some concern going forward about what the Trump administration is going to do about this study um, because of the fact the findings of the study go against the very things that Donald Trump uh, has said and has run on. For example, Donald Trump has called climate change a Chinese hoax uh, during the election. He said that, you know, even if it's happening, it's not being caused by man. Um, And of course, the scientists that look into this have found the exact opposite. Um, And so that has created some uh, concern around what's going to happen next. So what did the report conclude about climate change? Um, Was there anything we did not already know? Uh, Well, I can tell you is most Most of what the report concluded, we really did already know, but now it has given us statistics and factual details because this is a society we are we are we are trying to be based in fact um, and not in alternative facts. Um, So here are the real facts. Okay, the the real facts. These are not fake facts. Um, It is getting warmer everywhere. The West is warming the fastest. Temperatures across the country have increased on average 1.2 degrees Fahrenheit since the 1900s. Uh, The Southwest and the Northwest, as well as the Great Plains, have seen a temperature increase of about 1.5 degrees or more. Um, Now, the report concludes that even if humans stopped emitting all greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, the world would still feel at least an additional half a degree Fahrenheit, which is 0.3 degrees Celsius warming over a century compared to today. And this projected actual rise is very concerning because if we go over another two degrees Celsius, that can cause catastrophic change. Right now, we are talking about a difference in a rise of 1.5 degrees. Um, if we go over two, we are talking about longer heat waves, more intense rainstorms, and the faster denigration of our coral reefs, and as well as many, many other things that keep our environment sustainable and keep us being able to breathe oxygen on this planet. Um, The most important thing that the report concluded is that humans are to blame. The federal report left no doubt as to the responsibility for climate change. In fact, the report said, quote unquote, it is extremely likely that human interference has been the dominant cause of the observed warming since the mid 20th century. The report also pointed out there are no convincing alternative explanations supported by evidence, um, and that is scientific evidence, scientific fact. Again, this is a factual conversation we are having. Uh, The report said that through greenhouse gas emissions and widespread deforestations, Humans are now entering an era where we are conducting a quote-unquote unprecedented experiment with our climate system and our environment. Although the climate model has gotten more sophisticated and no model can capture all of the elements in Earth's complex climate, the report warns that there is a quote-unquote significant possibility of climate surprises in the future, either compound events where two or more extreme climate events occur simultaneously or tipping point events where where a threshold in our climate system is crossed. Uh, The greater and the more climate changes, the more emissions continue to increase, the greater risk we are for death and ultimately for complete extinction of the human race. What do these findings mean for us? Well, it means we are going to have wetter hurricanes here in the east. Although we do not know if we're going to have more hurricanes, the hurricanes we do have will be more destructive and they will bring more rainfill. 
We have bad news for California. The warming will probably bring further reductions in the winter and spring snowpack. And that means that by the year 2100, which is really not that far off, um, California, which is our largest bread basket, which produces the majority of the food, grains and vegetables that we eat and the wine that we drink in this country, um, will have no water. Americans are going to experience more extreme participation. Um, over the past 60 years, 27% more rain falls in the worst storms than used to. The flooding related to sea level rise is already becoming problematic, and tidal flooding will continue to become problematic. We're seeing this in places like Miami, Norfolk, Virginia, Charleston, South Carolina, and low-lying parts of San Francisco, and of course, New York. Uh, some areas will suffer more from rising sea levels. Uh, sea level rise is expected to be worse in the northeast, which is where we are, and along the Gulf of Mexico, which, of course, is where New Orleans is. Um, so what, what is the Trump administration doing? Well, the National Academy of Sciences has actually signed off on this draft report, and the authors are now awaiting permission from the Trump administration to release it. The report will now go before a White House committee staffed by political appointees from these 13 agencies who are expected to complete their review by next week uh, on August 18th. Mr. Trump could quietly publish the report so that nobody knows about it, unlike the Obama administration that very publicly put the report all over their website. He could also make the case that the findings should be tempered by the fact that they're going to have economic effects on American workers and businesses. Or worse, as some scientists fear, he can try and alter or suppress the report or misrepresent some of the facts before it is released to try and make it seem as though things are not so bad. Um, there are grim realities of climate change if we do not do anything. We have already reached the point where it is getting too late. We need to act on climate change now. The fact that we have elected a person that is undermining climate change and undermining the environment, and we see this through Scott Pruitt, the director of the EPA, who is literally trying to dismantle the agency he leaves, is a problem not just for us, but it is a problem for our children. Um, our children are going to suffer the worst effects of this, and it is selfish of us to not deal with it now. How can we resist the Trump administration? Number one, we can bring lawsuits. If you are a legal practitioner or if you're somebody who can get invo involved in volunteering to, rep to be a plaintiff um, in a legal case, you should. You can continue to protest. And also you can call your congresspeople and representatives and tell them that you really care about this issue. You can donate money to environmental groups. You can go to environmental rallies. You can participate in the People's Climate March. And you can march in protests such as the ones that we saw in South Dakota um, to, as direct actions against other pipelines and things that will transport fossil fuels. I recommend very highly that you get involved. There's a lot you can do on this front to fight climate change and fight the Trump administration. Please, please, please get involved in this issue. This is the number one issue that it, we are facing in terms of our safety. This is probably more likely to kill us than North Korea. Thank you for that, Alyssa. I mean, talk about a way to end a show. As detrimental as it sounds, Alyssa gave us a number of resources of how we can take action to save our planet. 20, 2100, like you said, is not far off. And if you plan on having kids and grandkids, then you probably want them to be healthy. So thank you for that, guys. I also want to thank all of our guests who came in studio, like Joshua Clennon. We also had Samar Lim from Black Enterprise call in, and we had Anthony Davis Jr. from the NW ACP call into the show today and of course we got to thank you guys for chiming in and hanging out with us on this Sunday morning we appreciate you and we'll appreciate it even more if you like us on Facebook I let your voice be heard follow us on Twitter at be heard underscore radio and subscribe to us via iTunes and Stitcher and iHeartRadio at let your voice be heard